Welcome to week two of Give, Serve, Love. We're here at uh, The Bridge in here in central Topeka. Gonna talk to Chris Stewart, one of our local partners. Really, really excited about that. Let's head inside, have this conversation. Thanks for giving us a little bit of time today. Um, first question, just tell us a little bit about what God has been doing lately in and through The Bridge. That's a, a challenging question for me. I, I believe when God's doing one thing, he's doing a thousand things. Mm. And a pastor said, you might be aware of three of them. And so that question is, is humbling for me. I don't know what he's doing. He's doing so many things. Um, but two things I know he's doing, uh, faithful. God is faithful. He calls his people to faithfulness. And I think of uh, one of our mentors, a volunteer actually from Grace Point, and last year he was assigned a child who was absent a lot and then switched schools and eventually moved out of the city. And mm -hmm. he kept pursuing that child, eventually sending him cards in the mail, uh, just kept pursuing him. And, and then this year he has a, a new child uh, that he's been matched with and, um, and they're just struggling. The kid's going through some hard times and he just keeps mm. showing up. And that's, that's fun to see, it's hard, yeah. it's painful. Um, but it, it's, it's really neat to see faithfulness. And then the other thing, fruit. Um, I think of one of our kids in our Life Buddies program, our long-term mm -hmm. mentoring program, um, foster care, um, homelessness, uh, reintegrated, uh, mom lost her job because she didn't have enough childcare, didn't have enough support, um, evicted. Mm -hmm. um, three o'clock in the morning on the street, baby daddy kicked them out and they're looking for it. So kid who's experiencing lots of changes uh, was diagnosed with um, something that has five syllables in one of the words and, um, and also ADHD and was on meds for it and uh, moved to a new home, staying with a family member, much more stability. His mentor has been following him for two and a half years mm -hmm. now, always in the new environment, the new school, introducing him as you know, this little kid, not this diagnosis. And so things have stabilized. And all of a sudden, his, his new foster mom realized, um, went to the doctor and the doctor said, what about his ADHD meds? She says, what ADHD mm. meds? And, uh, and, and he's, he's healed. I don't know. He's, mm -hmm. he doesn't have ADHD anymore. He's not on meds anymore. Why? Partly because of the home and the foster mom and partly because he's got a mentor yeah. who just keeps following him and introducing him. So awesome. Yeah. Good. So this series that we're in right now is about, um, unleashing generosity to our local partners and global partners. What's the resource? What's the tool? What's the, what's the gift? What's the thing that would help you make the most difference here through the bridge? So our, our long-term mentoring program, uh, we, we've discovered a model of mentoring that moves the needle for kids who've experienced the hardest things, mm -hmm. things like foster care. And, um, and we've got 15 families enrolled. We want to expand that to serve 32 children and their families. And so we are praying for 100 families to partner with us for the long term, giving $100 a month. Um, and, and that'll give us the, the stability to be able to step into these chaotic environments, uh, into these living rooms with families that are struggling. Mm. And um, so we're looking for, for ministry Good. partners. Okay. And you probably 
partly answered my next question. What's next? Six to 12 months, what does it look like for you guys? Well, what I'm, what I'm really looking forward to is um, survival. <laughs> uh, this, this is the hardest thing I've ever done. It's, it's very rewarding and we're, I, I like to tell people I feel like um, I'm seeing the underbelly of Topeka mm-hmm. and not just seeing it, but getting close enough to smell it and it's gross. Um, and so our staff is, is um, trying to pace ourselves. And, and so survival, we just hired a, a new full-time mentor and she's fantastic. And she's been with us for three weeks and I'm looking forward to see her getting up and running with her girls and, and uh, influencing those mm-hmm. families. And then I'm really looking forward to more lunch buddies signing up because it, man, it's the best thing since sliced bread mm-hmm. when, when people who can, can have the flexibility to spend an hour a week going to a school, 30 minutes with a kid, um, just smiling at them, loving them. Um, it's, it's an awesome thing Good. to watch. Good. Yeah. We love partnering with you. We love what you're doing here. And we're going to talk about more how we can get involved here with the bridge in week two of serve. Here we go. So God is up to a thousand things at a time, and you may be aware of three. That's challenging to me. Um, It makes me um, perk up a little bit because that makes me pay attention um, to things that are happening around me and around us as a church. Um, So we're going to take the next step today, part two of Give, Serve, Love. Um, If you weren't with us last week, or maybe this is your first time at Grace Point, I really, really, really want to encourage you to go back and catch part one. Um, We want everybody who's a part of Grace Point, if this is your home, if this is your church, um, this is an all-skate. We want everybody um, to find a way to get involved in these these three calls to action, giving, serving, um, and and loving. And the reason that we're doing this, the reason that we've kind of um, walked into this series is because we believe everybody matters to God, even if God doesn't matter to them. We believe everybody matters to God even if God does not matter to them. This is the epicenter of the gospel. (laughs) The the most famous verse from the New Testament. For God so loved the people that loved him. No, for God so loved the people that live in the part of the world that have running water. For, For God so loved the people that would recognize and obey him. Is that what it says? No, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loved, so God did what people who love do. He gave. And then over and over and over throughout the New Testament, you see Jesus serving people over and over and over again. And then he says, there's, there's not a, a, a servant out there that's greater than their master. So if I have served, you should serve too. So Jesus calls us to follow him. So we're focusing corporately as a church on something we've all been called to do individually that's giving to, serving, and loving people who may not give, serve, or love us back. It's one of the ways that we follow Jesus, right? Um, And and we took the first step last week, talked about the give part. I asked everybody who's a part of Grace Point to give $137 to this. $137 a person in our church, we would raise $84,000. And that would fully fund all of our local partners, all of our global partners, um, which is our goal, $84,000. Some of you can give way more than that. I get that. Some of you want to give that much and you're struggling to figure out how to give that much. That's fine too. We just want everybody to participate in any way that they can, all right? 
And I'll say one more thing about the give piece, and then we'll move on to, to the serve piece. Um, we're going to celebrate at our Christmas Eve services. So you have until December 17th to figure out what you're going to give. Don't be the family. Don't be the individual. Don't be the couple who shows up at our Christmas Eve service and goes, oops. Okay, I don't want you to be that family. I don't want you to be that couple. Figure out, make a decision what you're going to give. And then by December 17th, make sure you give that so you can be a part of that celebration at our Christmas Eve services. Okay? Awesome. Here we go. First service is way more awake than you guys are, okay? Um, second piece of give, serve, love is serve. For those of you who've been raised in American culture, which is pretty much all of us, those of you who've been raised in the West, the idea that everybody matters to God is not a new, a new idea. This has been ingrained in you from the very, very first day of your life. You may not even believe everything that we believe, you may not believe the same things that we believe about Jesus or the Bible or the church, but there's still something inside of you because of the culture that you've been raised in that believes everybody matters to God. But did you know that is not a natural thought? Did you know that's not a self-evident thing? In fact, in ancient times, um, just think Old Testament period for a minute. Nobody believed that. Nobody believed that everybody mattered to God because people in ancient times, they didn't worship a single God. They worshiped the gods. And in, in, in polytheistic cultures, um, nobody believed the gods cared about people. The God didn't love people. The gods didn't love people. The gods played with people. And, and if the gods didn't care about people, then people don't need to care about people. They're the only reason people gave the gods any attention and through sacrifice was so that the gods would make their babies healthy or make their crops healthy or, you know, give them victory over their enemies in battle or to protect them from their enemies. Many of the ancient pagan religions even required child sacrifice in order to please the gods. Now, why would people think that a god would want their child to be sacrificed? Well, because the gods obviously didn't care about human life. So human life didn't care or humans didn't care about human life. And the only monotheistic ancient culture was Judaism. And even they mixed their monotheism with worshiping other gods. Uh, for instance, King Solomon, he's known for building the temple in Jerusalem. Did you know Solomon was also responsible for building 700 other temples to pagan gods? I mean, they, they continually mixed and, and struggled with this worshiping the one true God and worshiping multiple other gods. They had a really difficult time getting their minds around this one single God, caring about everybody in the world, not just the Jewish people. This idea that I need to treat everybody fairly or justly or with dignity that didn't exist in the ancient world. C compassion? No. Compassion was weakness. Humility, putting other people in front of you, that was, that was a sign of weakness. When, what, what the ancients valued is unfortunately what our culture has started to value more than anything else. Strength, wealth, family name, putting your throat on your enemy. You know, putting your boot on the throat of your enemy. That, that's what we have come to value. And into that ancient world, 
Jesus showed up. God sent Jesus, and into that world, Jesus said, no. No, compassion is not weakness. Compassion is not weakness, it is strength. Blessed are the meek, because meek isn't weak. Bible doesn't say that. I just added that part so you remember it, okay? Meek isn't weak. He modeled this. He taught this. Every single person has inherent value, not ascribed value because of your last name, because of your bank account, because of your social standing. Every single person you're ever eyeball to eyeball with has inherent value because they were made in the image of God. That's what Jesus taught. And again, this is common sense to us. But it was a brand new idea when Jesus unleashed his movement onto the world. Just check it out for yourself. Just read history. It's a uniquely Christian ideal, even if you're not a Jesus follower and you believe everybody should be treated fairly and justly. You need to understand that is not a natural thing. That is not a universal thought. That is uniquely Christian. So it's something I think we just need to be reminded of every now and then. We need to lean into every now and then to show the people around us you're valuable to God. And because you're valuable to God, you're valuable to me. Because God sees you with inherent value. I see you with inherent value. So with that as the backdrop, I want you to think about, or we're gonna look at some words that Jesus says to a culture that believed those things, okay? So Matthew chapter five, if you've got a Bible or a mobile device, you want to follow along, I just want you to hear these words and think about what Jesus' original audience would have thought, how they would have reacted to this, okay? And then we're going to think about how we think about this or how about we react to this. Matthew chapter five, listen to what Jesus says, starting in verse 42, give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. How would they hear that? They would hear that the same way you and I hear that. You immediately think, but what if they don't pay me back? Right? What if they take advantage of me? What if they take unfair advantage of my generosity? What if they, here's, here's one, what if they take the money I give them and do something else with what they said they were going to do with it? Jesus says, that's the natural, normal response. What I'm introducing is Supernatural. What I'm introducing is extraordinary, not ordinary. These are my kingdom values. He goes on. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. We need to camp out on this for a second. This is really interesting what Jesus is doing here. He's confronting one of the major thoughts in Jewish culture that had nothing to do with the Old Testament because God never told the Jewish people to hate your enemy. Never. But they had taken a little bit of their culture. Um, they had taken um, different layers from the Psalms and Proverbs and, and put together this idea that just as you to, you're, you're to love your neighbors and your friends, you're to hate your enemies. Because if you love these people, it makes sense that you would hate these people. Jesus says, God never taught you that. Jesus is pushing back on this idea. He says, you've heard this your entire life, but I tell you, and when he said that, he's saying, everybody who's told you that is wrong. But I learned that at synagogue, they were wrong. I learned this from the wisest person in my village, he was wrong. 
but I learned it from my parents and my grandparents when they taught me Torah. They were wrong. Your God has never taught you to hate. You've heard that your entire life, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now let's just pause for a minute here, okay? Let's get a little personal slash uncomfortable if you're not already uncomfortable, right? You read this and you go, who would do that, right? Who, who in their right mind would actually love their enemy and pray for the people who persecute you, okay? And, and you say, well, I would. Think about this for a second, okay? I want you to think about all the prayers that you prayed this week, just for the last seven days. If God answered every single one of your prayers with a yes, would anybody outside of your immediate family and friends benefit? Most of us spend most of our time praying for our immediate circle of friends and family. But Jesus says, when you pray, I want you to think about the person who's persecuting you at work. I want you to pray for the bully at school. I want you to pray for the neighbor who refuses to pick up their leaves and they keep blowing into your yard. Get a little personal for a second, right? I want you to pray for the person who just gets on your last nerve. Um, uh, middle school and high school students, let me talk to you for a second. That might mean you need to pray for your parents. Right? Because you think they lie in bed at night just figuring out ways to torture you. They're, they're getting a little too happy. We need to take something from them. We need to what, irritate them. That's what you think about your parents. Right? So maybe, maybe you need to pray for your parents because there's the one who, who, who you feel like are persecuted. Jesus says, whoever falls into that category for you, that's who I want you to pray for. Again, who would do that? No mere mortal. No, no, no average person. To which Jesus would say, now that I have your attention, now that you know what I've come to introduce, now that you know how my kingdom works, follow me. This is what my kingdom looks like. Just, just imagine for a minute, what if the church in America just did this one thing for a month? What would change what would change in your family? What would change at your work? What would change in your school? What would change in public discourse if just the Jesus followers in America did this for a month? It would change things. It would change things because when you start praying for your enemy and you start praying for the people who persecute you, your attitude towards them changes. And you start to reflect and mirror your father in heaven which is exactly where Jesus is going. Look what he says next. This is the purpose. This is the result statement of the verse. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that or so that, here's the result, you may be children of your father in heaven, like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. If you want to be like your father in heaven, you got to do what your father in heaven does. And then Jesus gives a couple illustrations of that. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He looks at the whole world and decides, you know what? Today, when the sun comes up, it's coming up for everybody. It's coming up for evil people. It's coming up for good people. When it rains, it's going to rain on the righteous people's fields and it's going to rain on the unrighteous people's fields. That's what your heavenly father 
is like. He's giving us a picture of the character of God and then saying, I want you, my followers, to be like your father in heaven, like father, like son, like father, like daughter. Bless those who bless you and bless those even who curse you. And I know, like, I've done this enough to know (laughs) that some of you are thinking to yourself, what world do you live in, Tim? Like, you work one day a week at the church. (laughs) Right? Some of you, 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 just admit it, you have no idea what the real world is like, preacher. Right? You have no idea what my chemistry teacher is like. You have no idea what my brother-in-law is like. You should meet my boss. In fact, would you come to my work and meet my boss? He needs prayer, right? And you know what? I agree. I agree. Let's just assume for a minute that I only work one day a week and I have no idea what the real world is like. Let's assume my life is perfect, okay? I'm not asking you to do any of this. I, I don't have the nerve <laughs> to ask you to do any of this. Those aren't my words. Those are Jesus' words. So if you want to send anybody an email, I'm just telling you, this changed the world once. It changed the world. The world was not changed because of the teaching of the prodigal son or Jesus' parables. The world was changed because a group of Jesus followers decided that everybody around them had inherent value and were going to love them rather whether or not they love us back. It changed the world. And I still think it'll change the world today. And as we're about to check out, because this is too extreme, nobody really does this, Jesus says, before you go, I got one more layer to add. If you love those who love you, which everybody does, like that's easy. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? And here's the dig for them. Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And everybody in his audience would have gasped. Okay, here's what he's saying. Think about the worst category of people you know. The people that disgust you. The people that you, you see them coming and you go to the other side of the street. Think about, the, or maybe it's just a one person. The person that you can't stand. Like people like them shouldn't be allowed to fill in the blank. Okay? Whatever that group, whatever that individual is for you, Jesus is going, don't you think they treat people well who treat them well? Like if you were to, to, to drop into their world and watch them function day to day, don't you think they're good to people who are good to them? Sure they are. Tax collectors are good to people who are good to them. Here's Jesus' point. You're no better than them. You're doing exactly what they do. You're nice to people who are nice to you. You serve people who serve you. You support people who support you. You're kind to people who are kind to you. You cover for people who cover for you. Even the tax collectors do that. Even the, fill in the blank with the people you're thinking about right now. Even they do that. Jesus is calling us out here. He's saying you're no different than them if all you do is do good for people who do good to you. You're living your life just like the people you hate. One step further, and if you greet only your own people, like think about 
Think about, you ever find yourself in a situation where you look around and you go, these are not my people. You think about the people who are gonna, you're going to invite to your house on Friday night to hang out. There's a group of people, those are not my people. That's what he's saying. If you only greet your own people, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the pagans do that? Don't, don't even people who don't believe in me do that? If you only embrace, welcome, lean into your people, everybody does that. So people who don't believe in me do. I don't want you to follow them. I don't want you to do what everybody else does. I want you to follow me. I want you to go beyond what everybody else is doing. I want you to get noticed for doing good to people who aren't good to you. And if you do, if you greet people who are not your people, if you pray for those who aren't praying for you, in fact, they persecute you, if you love your enemies, if this becomes the habit of your life, if it characterizes you as my followers, look what he says next, you will be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Anytime you see the word therefore, you need to ask, what's that therefore? Because it's connecting it to the past idea. Have you ever heard anybody say, you know what, nobody's perfect. Nobody's perfect. Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. There are perfect people. There are perfect people the way I define perfect. Like this could have started the discussion. If it was me, I would have started the discussion, but I'm not Jesus the Christ. But he ends the discussion with this. This would have been so offensive. Would have been so offensive to the religious leaders because they would have thought you can't be perfect like God is. And Jesus says, within this very important context, how you treat others, yes, you can. You can be like your father in heaven. You can be perfect like the most high God, not because you're morally perfect, not because you do everything right every single time, not because you make every right decision, not because you never sin, but because you do this part right. If you get this right, you can be perfect like your father in heaven. Perfection, according to Jesus in this context, has to do with how you treat people. It's not about never sinning. Please hear that. Perfection is doing good for others that cannot or will not do for you. God-likeness, godliness is about doing for those who cannot or will not do for you. So you want to be godly? You ever, heard, you ever heard somebody say, oh, they're so godly. Oh, you should hear them pray. Oh, oh you should hear him teach. Oh, he's such a good teacher. How do they love people? That's the standard. Godliness, God-likeness, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Embrace, include, love people who are not your people. Do good for those who cannot and will not do for you. And Jesus, he doesn't give us an out because he modeled this over and over and over again. The Jews hated the Romans, hated them. They were a daily reminder of the people that they used to be under the, 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 the glory days of King David and King Solomon, one day a Roman centurion approaches Jesus. He says, hey, would you heal my servant? Jesus says, yeah, I'll do that. He loved his enemy. He loved his enemy. The Jews couldn't stand the tax collectors. They were traitors to their own people. And one day Jesus is walking along the road and he sees Matthew sitting in a tax collector's booth and he goes to Matthew, he says, Matthew, you may have heard me preach. I've actually kind of even used your people as an illustration every now and then. I want you to follow me. Jesus embraced 
people who weren't his people. He fed crowds of people, many of whom would later join the chance of crucify him. He healed complete strangers who never came back to thank him. He did for others what they could not do for him or would not do for him. If that wasn't enough, he died for your sin. He died for my sin. He died praying that God would forgive the people that were killing him. And he says to you, and he says to me, follow me. And while we may be criticized for what we believe as Jesus followers, I think we should be famous for how we treat people. We're always going to be criticized. We've been criticized for what we believe for the last 2,000 years. That's not going away. But we should be famous, even more than, than just how we treat people. The more we're mistreated and misrepresented, the more we're lied about and even persecuted, I think we should treat those people even better. Because that's what our Savior did. That's what our leader did. And I think that's what we've been called to do. So give, serve, love. This is about doing for others collectively what we've all been called to do individually. We want to be seen in our community serving people who may never do anything for us in return. Not so that they'll see us. Please hear that. Not so that, we, that we'll see us. So they will see our good works and glorify our Father in heaven. Right? So one of the ways we do that is by continually encouraging you to get involved with some of our local partners, right? Um, we give to some of these organizations uh, some of the $137 a person that we're collecting over the next six weeks. But throughout the year, it's not just about money. We also want to come alongside of them and partner with our time, with, with, with our service to them. Um, you heard last week in the video, uh, LaManda from Topeka Rescue Mission talking about how much they saved last year just through volunteer labor. That's what we want to do. We want to come alongside our partners and say, Let's, let us help you. Let us give you some, some resources, some human resources to help you get the ball further down the field. All kinds of ways to serve through the Topeka Rescue Mission. Um, you heard in the video from, from Chris Stewart at the bridge. Um, some of you either are right now or you have been in the past a lunch buddy. So you spend about 30 minutes a week with an at-risk kid. Because again, as you heard, there are kids in our community that need a caring adult to come alongside of them because they're not getting what they need from their parents, from their coaches, their teachers, whatever it is. It's a great opportunity to serve our community. And mentoring an at-risk kid is doing for somebody what you're not going to get back from them. You won't, you won't get anything back from them. Our, our involvement with North Topeka Outreach is mainly through its Operation Backpack that provides kids with food over the weekend, about 900 kids in 14 area schools. Um, again, many of you have participated in that. Topeka Share Fest is something that happens once a year. That's where multiple churches throughout Topeka come together to serve and to bless um, our school systems or nonprofits throughout Topeka. There's lots of ways to serve. Lots of you are, are serving in other areas that don't fit into our local partners. Um, but these are, these are ways that I'm asking you to consider giving of your time, serving in them on a regular basis along with the financial resources 
that we're going to give them. All of them have websites. You can do your vetting. Uh, we talk about them here regularly. We give you opportunities to sign up to do those things and, and serve there regularly. So I'm partially asking you just to pay attention to those opportunities when they present themselves. And then I'm asking you to, to get involved and be a part of those, those opportunities, okay? And before, before you go, yeah, I'm too busy for that. Tim's not talking to me today. Let me, just give me two more minutes, okay? And then I'm done. Been reading a book by um, a pastor by the name of J.D. Greer. Um, he used to actually be the president of the, of the SBC. He talks about his love of superheroes when he was growing up and how he would always dress up in, in different superhero costumes and run throughout the neighborhood. He says the one disguise he could never get right was the invisible man. <laughs> and he, he says, the, really, the only time I ever got this right was when my sister was gone, and I'd go into her room and mess things up, and then she would come home, and she would see, and I would say, it was probably the invisible man who did that, which I think is just brilliant. But um, Here's what he says about this. Here's the part that I want you to hear, okay? If you think, I'm too busy for this, just don't, I don't have time for this, here's what I want you to hear. On the Invisible Man television show, when someone wanted to make him visible, they would pour paint on him. They could see his shape and track his movements. I suggest that the local church is the paint that makes the invisible Christ visible to our community. It's, it's in their fellowship, their holiness of life, it's multicultural diversity, it's selfless acts of love, and it's forgiveness and boldness that it reveals the contours of the eternal heavenly Christ that dwells within them. When local churches equip their people to embody the gospel in the streets, they make the movements of an otherwise invisible Christ visible to their community. If you want Jesus to be visible in our community, Get out there and serve. Serve with selfless acts. Serve over and over and over because when we do good for those who cannot or will not do good for us, we are painting the invisible Christ for the homeless, the orphan, the international student, the prisoner, the unwed mother, the at-risk child. Many of them will never darken the door of our church. But that's not what this is about because many people are never going to come here to experience Jesus, so we need to take Jesus to them. It's what we've been called to do. And we know, I'm gonna keep saying this until you're sick and tired of it. We know from history that no strings attached generosity and selfless acts of service changed the world. It did in the first century. I think it will in the 21st century if we're willing to do this. So let's do our part with no strings attached, generosity, with a, with, with a mentality for a heart for our city, the people that we know, people we don't know, the people that we like, and especially the people that we don't like. And in doing that, we will reveal to them what our heavenly father is like. We'll be like father, like son. We'll be like father, like daughter. And we'll paint this invisible Jesus to everybody around us. I can't think of a better thing to do. I can't think of a higher calling for us as a corporate body to do than to show people who Jesus is. So let's give, let's serve. And the next week, it's the really hard one. Let's love.
right? Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, this, this, this lands in so many different places. Some of us, we're, we're already serving in some way, shape, or form. God, for some of us, we're, <laughs> we're thinking through our, our week, even this week, and we're like, where in the world do I have time to do this? So Father, my prayer is very simple, that you, through your spirit, would galvanize, would call would equip your people to look for where they can paint you. So there's little footprints all over our community of, of, of your work, of what you're up to. You're up to a thousand things. We may know three. But regardless, we want to do good works. We want to do more than the tax collectors. We want to do more than the pagans because you've called us to do more. And we want to do that, not so, not so we'll get the credit, not so that we'll be seen. We want to do good works so that they'll see our good works and they'll glorify you. They'll be drawn to you. Jesus, would you help us with this? Would you guide us? Would you direct us? Would you challenge us? However we can be involved in this. And then give us the strength, give us the endurance to serve until our dying breath. And we ask this, I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, ready, set, go. See ya.